Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reflections with Raja, a podcast about finding purpose, storytelling, and navigating life. My name is Raja Butter, and I use they, them pronouns. Join me on this weekly journey as I talk to incredible people living thoughtfully every day. My guest today is Cheryl Furer, who for over 20 years has studied nutrition, herbs, supplements, coaching, and wellness. She's a certified professional midwife, certified homeopath, and integrative health coach and someone that I consider a friend. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Raja. I'm really um, grateful to be here um, with your podcast in Reflections with Raja. This is such an honor. Thank you. No, I, you know, as I was making my list, I think you were definitely on the list, partially because I think this is a way for me to both talk to people that I know really well and learn more about them, but also get to know people that I know, but I want to get to know better. And I think you're definitely one of those people for me. Um, so let's just get jump in and get started because there's so many things to talk about. So Cheryl, what's your story? My story. Wow. Uh, what a big question. So my story really, I, I think I would summarize it kind of like a step back from the trees and really summarize it as a story of resilience and, mm-hmm. you know, being raised by a single mom and, um, a young single mom who really was working through her own life processes while raising a young wild child. (laughs) And um, my mom never called herself a feminist, but she was definitely a person who um, was thinking about women's rights and, um, you know, was in situations where she you know, was facing sexism and really worked towards fighting that in her in her job and in her life. And so being raised by her really, um, you know, she saw me as my own person. And mm. so that was something that I always saw myself as was my own person. And yet I was also very observant as a child and looking around the world and, and really recognizing that like these stories that I was being told around fairness and equality were just not true. (laughs) I was, you know, I grew up in very diverse spaces and I saw how we were not being rewarded and punished in the same ways. And so I, I always recognized that, but I didn't really understand my place in the societal picture until later in life. Um, But I just really appreciate you know, that kind of like humanity that my mom passed on to me in my young years. <laughs> sure. Um, that seems like, she seems like a pretty amazing woman. Um, so where did you grow up? I grew up, I always say I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I, I was born in Washington State. Um, we moved from there to, uh, we lived with my family in Iowa for a few months, and then we moved to St. Louis. And um, when we moved there, we were homeless for a little while. We lived in shelters. Um, We met some amazing folks in the inner city of St. Louis who really like supported my mom and which in turn, of course, supported me. Um, And as my mom, you know, developed her skills and 
you know, she was able to stabilize our lives more and more as I got older and, um, you know, again, went through her own journey as a young, as a young woman and (laughs) with this this little kid following her around. (laughs) It seems like there's, there's quite a beautiful story to be told over there. I hope you'll, you'll write it down somewhere too, because that feels like there's even just in that little childhood, there's quite a bit of different transformative moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one that's really like standing out to me as I as I'm in the space with you is we were um, coming into St. Louis, and I was like, I had the window down, waving my hand through the air, and I was just like, "Mom, I wish everyone could see like the rainbows in the as in the air and the colors in the air." And she was just like, "Oh, that's so nice, honey." <laughs> <laughs> I like reflect on that. I'm like, what a weirdo, but like awesome. <laughs> also, that she was so accepting of like just these random like you know ways that I would express myself as a young person, and how like in society that gets shut down so much. And so I just really contribute a lot of who I am today with her, you know, acceptance of me earlier. Yeah, it, that's actually such a beautiful story that encapsulates so much of who you are for me too. That I actually love that. That's a perfect story. <laughs> so, Cheryl, one of the questions I love asking, um, partially because you know I got sick of at parties when we could have parties, um, asking like, "Oh, what's your name? What do you do?" Um, so I started to ask people, "What's your gift to the world?" You know, it's not necessarily what makes us money to, to survive in this world, but what's what's your actual gift to the world, Cheryl? Thanks. Yeah, I love that question. It's, you know, and again, it's sort of this like acceptance piece to be able to even find our gifts in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, society is constantly trying to shape us and like tell us what we're supposed to quote be doing. But if we can actually like settle into ourselves and, you know, have some awareness and truth around how society is shaping us, we can you know, pause all that noise and really try to find our gifts in the world. Um, Again, you know, kind of having some uh, earlier experiences that really allowed me to create some awareness around these things. Um, I've sort of come and I'm going to share my age. I'm 40 years old this year. So I feel like I'm opening a new decade of my life. (laughs) And I feel like in my 30s, I really discovered this gift I have and to share with the world. And it's one of holding space for transformation. Mm. And as a midwife, that might feel kind of obvious where like I'm holding space for um, childbearing people and women to, you know, be pregnant, move through this rite of passage of birth, and then move into a postpartum period. Um, And their transformation that they are going through, I love supporting that but also like other types of transformation. I support midwifery students at a midwife's college, so their transformation in becoming midwives. Um, In graduate school, um, I really, we all supported each other, of course, but I just kind of saw that gift maturing and kind of opening up into like a greater community um, whereas I feel like in my thirties, I was very like one-on-one holding that space of transformation. But now I feel like in my forties, this new chapter that's opening is really about holding space for transformation in community. And, um, 
I'm still kind of discovering that, but it, it feels like it's right. It feels like it's part of my gifts that I have to give here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it really feels like holding that space and creating space for other people's transformation as well. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I love that. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I, one of the things I remember from our conversation five years ago, it feel, I think, uh, somewhere around there, yeah. who knows, time, time flies by. But I, you know, I think for me, I just remember being amazed um, at midwifery, right? And you being a midwife and, and, and I've had, I've known a couple of people, but I've never fully understood how does one end up becoming a midwife? Like what is the vision and what is the passion that drives to that process? So um, if you're comfortable, would you share a little about why you chose to become a midwife? Sure, and it's different for everyone. Um, some people experience birth um, really early on. Um, mm. Like I said, I was an only child. I was never around pregnant women in any capacity. You know, my mom was never pregnant again after she had given birth to me. Um, I was never around breastfeeding women. I was kind of intimidated by all the energy that they held. It was just like, wow. <laughs> um, and so, what was happening for me and my story is that I became a certified homeopath. I just, I love the, the medicine of homeopathy and it just intrigued me because it was so individualized that I really wanted to learn more about it. So I, I started going to school for it. I, I finished a two-year program uh, with an optional third year for homeopathy. But during my time at that school, I recognized that it would be a very hard profession to only be a homeopath because not only would I be educating every single person about what homeopathy is, then I would be like, and you should get care from me. Mm. <laughs> so it didn't feel complete. Like that was the only piece of education that I was going to need for who I was becoming. Um, and so I kind of let it ponder, um, you know, becoming a naturopath would have been a very easy transition because I already had such a self-studied background in nutrition and herbs and supplements. Um, but there wasn't really any options for me because they didn't have online schools and it just wasn't feasible at that time. Um, and so I was just letting it be open to the universe. And um, one day in, a homeopathic study group, there was a loud, strong voice in my head <laughs> that said, you should do this with midwifery. And I was like, okay, <laughs> who, me? Are you talking to me? What? <laughs> um, but when intuition hits you that hard and that clearly, uh, it's definitely not something to ignore. <laughs> sure. Um, so I started looking into midwifery schools and found the one that I wanted to attend. Um, I like to say, you know, I started midwifery school in the fall of 2010 and I attended my first birth in January of 2011. So oh my gosh. it was just such a clear picture that I was like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing mm. that, um, that I just dove in and, um, and once I developed my midwifery like who I am as a midwife, I recognize, oh, wow, all of these skills that I've been either self-studying or that I really love are required for midwifery. And so mm -hmm. being able to show up as my full self as a midwife has been just such a great, um, a great career for me. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. So Cheryl, um, I love hearing about your story and kind of how you found your passion, that strong intuition that led you to, to midwifery. Um, given um, kind of your wisdom and your life on earth, what's something that we can all do to make this world better? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> if I were the ruler of the world, what would I change? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, it's interesting because I have a couple different directions that I'd like to approach answering this question. We look at ourselves in the best light possible. And I love that about humanity and humans. And we also have to recognize that we are born into a structure and a system. And it can be very nuanced in the systems that we're in. Um, the ways that we get rewarded and punished are not the same for everyone. And really creating awareness. And so I guess where I would start is like an internal self-awareness. And I mean, according to the billion dollar self-help industry, people recognize that this is something that is needed. And it's, it's not the easiest thing to do in all honesty, to create this like mirror of ourselves. Um, Occasionally, we will get external mirrors that are uh, shown to us, and that can hit us like a ton of bricks. It can, you know, kind of take us down into a hole. It can do all kinds of things to our psyches. Um, and that self-awareness is such a huge, valuable tool, but our society doesn't really, like, create a space or a structure for that. Um, and so again, it's sort of one of my passions is to help create that self-awareness, I guess in a way that really supports behavioral and like systems changes, you know, that self-awareness can come from a lot of different paths. So like mm. learning our accurate history is like one of those paths. It's like, oh, wow, everything I've been taught in school is not correct <laughs> because we are living in a revisionist history right now that was actually formulated in like the 1920s, 30s and 40s. And there are some really great resources that I could share if your audience is interested in that. But, um, you know, that revisionist history is still something that we are living with today. And the behaviors and actions of people are often a reflection of that. And so um, like relearning accurate history, I think is really, really important and valuable um, as a path towards self-awareness, um, understanding the um, trauma and the systems and structures that we're all born into, I think is really valuable. Um, like having space and collectively grieving is a really important part of this whole process of like rebirthing ourselves um, and then healing and solidarity because we're not all going to need the same types of healing on our journey. Um, but, and we all need to be able to um, come into a space where we are honoring each other's healing journeys as well that sort of accurate history, <laughs> understanding the trauma, collectively grieving, healing and solidarity, um, that would be really amazing if we could 
move in that direction as a collective, as a society, as individuals, um, I think that that would be my, if I was going to rule the world answer. <laughs> so Cheryl, you've talked a, a lot about um, transformation and the need for understanding our history and, and really understanding the, the more complicated history than the sanitized versions that we're often given, like in high school and middle school, right? Or even in college. And I think that that definitely resonates with me. I think for me, that's partially why I think storytelling is so critical. And I think was one of my motivations for starting this podcast was to actually add more stories and to complicate what we think of as whose whose voices are important, whose voices are elevated, you know, what what stories are, are recorded and not recorded. So I, I so appreciate your you talking about the need to do our work, it feels like, you know, and actually go beyond the, you know, the, well, that's what, not what my history book said, is actually research things that we may not know about on Google. Like, I think Google, I can't imagine a world without Google where you can just put stuff in and magically things will come out and you can learn about stuff. And I'm like, there, there's very little excuse for people to not actually take the time to learn and, and look into histories that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. And good resources, you know, really good resources out there. So finding trusted people, you know, because also the internet can be a full of, uh, misinformation too. So just right. some really good resources out there. Yeah. I mean, think, I think about Ronald Takaki, Different Mirror, or Howard Zinn's A People's History of the U.S. Like those are two books that I feel like I've had with me from like early time in college and that has been with me throughout my journey because I think those are books that often remind me that there are more stories than that are told in the mainstream media. And, and even those, you know, don't cover everything either, right? And so I, I, I appreciate the that recognition of like, we have to always be curious in some ways about wh- whose voice is not at the table, what story is not here, and and how can that make our understanding of the world better, even if it's more complicated. Yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I think so often it's easy to say, well, this is easier. And I was like, yeah, it's e-, like, you know, I think about so many colleges right now talking about the history of slavery uh, and the fact that people who were enslaved were bought and sold to build these institutions that are now world-class universities. Uh, and I appreciate some of them have been really trying to do do right by these families who are the descendants of these people. Uh, but, you know, but there's others who are just like, oh, well, we don't talk about that, right? It's because it's too painful. It's too controversial. And it's like, but it's your history, you know, like, how do you not talk about it? And what does it mean that if like, it's, it's quite a bit of privilege and power to be able to just put something under the, under the rug and not actually talk about it. Exactly. Yes. And I'm, I'm really passionate about um, the land that we're on and um, acknowledging, you know, I am here in what's now called Colorado and on Ute and um, Cheyenne, uh, Arapaho. This was a major transportation area for many indigenous peoples um, and um, the history of the city I live in, um, you know, was from white men in Chicago who <laughs> started the city here. Um, and, you know, they they didn't ask permission. They didn't, you know, it was definitely a colonialist uh, attitude. And so, um, you know, some of the resources like an indigenous people's history of the United States and um, the other slavery, uh, some of those resources, um, teaching tolerance, uh, teaching hard history. They have an amazing 
um, podcast. Season one is all about the um, African um, slave trade. Uh, season two is about the um, indigenous slave trade. And then season three is about civil rights mm. and the civil rights era. And, you know, even though it's a podcast to teach teachers how to teach American history, it is an educational tool too, right? And so um, just, I love and appreciate all of the resources that are available um, out in the internet and out online and, you know, just in different formats and mediums, you know, race, the power of an illusion um, from, um, I think PBS right. put out that documentary, right. um, like, great, you know, I can watch a movie, I can read a book, I can listen to a podcast, like, there's no excuse <laughs> to not, <laughs> like, learn a more accurate history, because like I said, the history that's being taught in the school systems has been a history that was implanted into the school systems by white segregationist women in the early 20s, 30s, and 40s. And mm. so like, like recognizing that like, they wanted to maintain segregation. And so they kind of rewrote or they actually worked you know, on a grassroots level to rewrite history. And we're still living with the effects of that today. Mm. I did not know that. Oh, that's interesting history to learn. In our world today, we do have so many opportunities that we just have to actually take time to learn and, and lead with compassion and not fear, right? I think uh, at least I hear from a lot of folks who are like, well, that's not my history. Or I'm like, no, it is our history. It's just that it's not the history that we've been taught because mm -hmm. like you said, it's been an intentional societal project to pacify or justify the destruction and usurpation of cultures and lands of people who were here way before us or people we've we've forcefully brought over here from other parts of the world um and so it's it there's kind of a for me it feels like there's a, a quite a bit of white guilt that's being pacified by the history that we're taught in our in our schools today mm -hmm. and the thing is is that everyone's taught it right and so then right. you know it's you know, I'm white, uh, socially white identifying. And so as a white female out in the world, I'm constantly being told, you know, who I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to behave. And there, and there's a stereotype associated with that. And again, that stereotype is reinforced through awards and punishments through, you know, my interactions with other people. And it's, I think it's very freeing actually to be able to say, well, hold on. <laughs> yeah. I actually would rather learn the accurate history <laughs> because I want to be in community and in relationship like with the people around me and with the land that I'm on and um, in with myself even. And there's a great quote that I'll, I'll paraphrase from um, Reverend uh, Angel Kyoto. Oh, Kyoto Williams, yeah. Yes, Kyoto Williams, thank you. Um, there's a great quote um, in her book, um, <laughs> Radical Dharma. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like trying to look at my bookshelf to get the <laughs> accurate title. Um, but there's a great quote by her, and she says, um, again, it's I'm paraphrasing, but she says, um, white people have exchanged their humanity for privilege and the mm. the piece that kind of gets me is that like they don't even know it like 
I'm like, mm-hmm. right. That's why when I was recognizing, oh, we both did the same thing, but I got punished differently than my friend. Why did we get punished differently? Was it really because of our skin tones? I thought the stories that I'm being told is that that's over, that we're not doing that anymore. And yet here I am living in this example. And so, you know, when you don't have examples like that because of the segregation, because of the redlining, because of the history that this country has been built on, you don't even know what you don't know. <laughs> and right. I'm like, right. I'm like, actually, you would be more human if you learned these things. Like, you would actually kind of recreate that humanity. No, I agree. How do we actually take advantage of the agency that we have? Because I think we are. You know, it's, I, I hear some people say, well, there's only 24 hours in the day or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, everyone has 24 hours in a day. It's not just you or me or anyone. So like, but, you know, we think about people using their time wisely. I think, you know, it's like, where do we put energy into and what, you know, are we putting energy into maintaining these systems that uphold the history that is comfortable or are we putting it into actually dismantling and actually understanding what a, a more equitable and accessible world could look like for all of us. And, and I think that requires, like you said, a lot of self-consciousness and awareness, but also an understanding our own discomfort and knowing that that's okay. That's part of the trauma that needs to be healed. Yes. Yes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's, that's a great lead into my next question. What nourishes you in all this? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, what nourishes me? Um, so I have personal things I do. I have other things I do. Like, honestly, just people. <laughs> I know that might sound crazy because, yeah, <laughs> because also people. And I, I love humanity. Like, I just, I have so much faith in us. Like, I'm like, we will do it. We're going to get through this. <laughs> um, we can recreate it, you know, like we created this in the first place, like, hey, white people, we created this in the first place, let's create something else, like, let's get on board with this, let's go, you know, like, uh, <laughs> that's, um, so in some ways, it's it's kind of the thing that pains me the most, also nourishes me the most. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, that makes sense, this, the fact that, like, we've created the society and system and history that we sit with, so we can rehab the agency to recreate it. It's just that, you know, what are the intentions that we bring to it, and, and are we able to actually build in more manageable and, and intentional impacts as well, so that we're aware of what we're creating, and not just, you know, intention is good, but impact is sometimes more important. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit more about your dancing and the ways you take care of yourself and, and what, you know, what, what has been important to your own healing process. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, and I also dance. Okay. <laughs> and I get to express myself in that creative outlet, um, which I love because it serves so many different purposes. So um, I used to do belly dancing and I loved belly dancing. I had an amazing teacher. I always find that um, it's really not necessarily the activity that drives me. It's the people associated with the activity Mm. Um, because I've also had amazing yoga teachers and then Pilates teachers that just like 
at that moment in time was like such a huge passion for me. And then when either I moved or they moved or, you know, things changed that changed, those passions changed, you know, I wasn't able to find a new yoga place that I really liked or Pilates, you know, like things like that. And um, same with belly dancing, which I used to do. And so currently in my life, I do pole dancing and I love my studio. I love my pole dancing tribe. If you're out there, <laughs> uh, you know who you are. Um, and pole dancing for me, what came to me at a really pivotal junction in my journey because um, I had just finished or I was getting very close to finishing midwifery school, um, which, you know, <laughs> you've been in academia when yeah. you are pursuing something so intensely. Um, and I mean, it was quote only a bachelor's, but it was, it's basically medical school <laughs> in a bachelor's degree format. <laughs> and so like, it's very intense. It, um, I had to put the horse blinders on and just focus in and do the work and get the clinical experience and, you know, pursue that. And after, once I kind of was able to step back and look around, I was like, okay, so I have almost no social life. Um, my partner's still with me. Thank God. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've put on weight, you know, like just kind of, I, I've forgotten about my body. I, you know, it was just that pivotal junction when I was like, okay, I need to like find something new to do. And I was actually looking for like aerial yoga, um, that like silks yoga, um, mm -hmm. in my area. And the only place that offered it, you had to take an intro to pole class first. And I, so I took my intro to pole class thinking, oh, I don't, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. And that weekend after I took that class, my pectoral muscles, which are the muscles in your chest near your shoulders, were so sore all weekend. I was like, yes, that means I worked. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that feeling when like after not working out for a while, your body, you work on your body's like full of pain. I'm like, well, this is good pain. Yes. Yes. And so I just, you know, I kind of started integrating myself into that studio and into those classes. And what I discovered out of that is that I rediscovered my sensuality, my sexiness. Um, I toned up my body. Um, I was able to find a great group of people to be there with, you know, I've had really vulnerable moments with them and really happy and joyful moments with them. And, um, you know, they just created, and I helped create this energy and this tribe where it was just like, we all like settled into each other. And I, you know, I still attend pole dancing classes. I love it. It's so much fun. It's creative. I get to express myself. Um, I'm not like a huge, like, um, dress myself up kind of gal, but, um, I love performing and I will like do all the makeup and all the costumes. And it is, it's just like a, a way of being fun and expressive and, and, you know, sometimes telling stories in my pole dancing, you know, in the choreography that I might create. Um, yeah. I love it. No, that's great. I, I definitely have appreciated just seeing the videos and just being able to see your transformation 
in getting comfortable with your own body and comfortable. And I think there's one where you and a friend had done it. And at the end, you end up with glitter everywhere. Yes! Um, and, and so for me, I'm like, anything with glitter is good. So that, <laughs> it, it was really, it was a, it was a cute video. I, I appreciate it. I remember that just vividly. That was my favorite performance of all time. And shout out to my pole sister, Angela. And um, we poured five pounds of glitter on ourselves. And it was the funnest routine. We just were living our best lives, you know? And it was just, again, that whole creative process and creating that routine and and working together as a, as a friendship. And oh, it was just that. That is an epic routine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you were talking about people. and where do, you, where do you get your inspiration from? People who really inspire me. You know, I was thinking about this question as I've listened to some of your other interviews and preparing for this one. And I think people who really inspire me are those who are really willing to be vulnerable. You know, I, I thought of all these great leaders and um, these great people. And the thing that I keep coming back to, and also, you know, just like my own midwifery clients, to be able to, like, yes, I'm going to have a child and wear my heart on my sleeve as they move through the world, you know, like that's a huge amount of vulnerability. Um, my midwifery partners going out there every day to serve pregnant people. And I just thought, you know, the thing that it really boils down to are these people who are willing to step out into the world in vulnerability and and let that be who they are. Um, you know, I think the greatest leaders who we often really admire had that human vulnerable piece about them. You know, they would write these great works. I'm um, specifically thinking of like Martin Luther King right now, who would write these amazing great works and Malcolm X too, like they would just come through and have these like moments where they're just like so open and vulnerable. And those are like, when, when we go back and read their works, it's just like, wow, you know, you're, you're willing to be that person who, who goes out and serves the world in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like big vulnerability, small vulnerability, the people who show up in that vulnerability are the ones who inspire me. Um, Cause I always hope I can come with my authentic vulnerable self into spaces and into the world. You know, I think back to our first um, meeting and just like, we both just like entered a space where we're like, I don't know you, you don't know me, but like, let's share dessert. Like right. <laughs> that <laughs> and here we are five years later talking on a podcast you know so like you never know what you know what what interaction might allow for a conversation or a relationship or something to happen and healing to happen so Thich Han says you know you get the energy that you put out into the world right and so how can we show up in ways that are safe and that are that we can be authentic to ourselves and also feel like we're going to be heard and valued in that space. Having more of the experiences are critical to help people build that trust and kind of build that muscle. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, those are all my questions, Cheryl. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Well, um, sure. So 
if people would like to get in touch with me, I um, offer um, prenatal and health coaching. And um, my website is Experience Midwifery. Um, it's Experience Midwifery on Instagram, Facebook, on <laughs> uh, experiencemidwifery.net.com. And um, if so, if people want to get in touch with me, um, they can find me through those avenues. And I just, I don't know, I just really appreciate the time to be here now with you. Yeah, it has been so nice to catch up and hear more of your story, Cheryl, and thank you for all that you do. I'm really excited about staying in community and I'll make sure to add the resources that you talked about into the description for this podcast. And that's our episode today. Thank you for joining me on this beautiful conversation with Cheryl. The music today is provided by Sasha Miskin called Balance. For other episodes and to check out more about Reflections with Raja, check out rajabutter.com media. Thanks.